This is Paul Smith, author of Sell with a Story, How to Capture Attention, Build Trust, and Close the Sale. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Paul Smith, and we're going to talk about his new book, Sell with a Story, How to Capture Attention, Build Trust, and Close the Sale. Paul Smith is a popular keynote speaker and corporate trainer in leadership and storytelling techniques, a former executive and 20-year veteran of the Procter & Gamble Company, and the author of two other books, Lead with a Story, a guide to crafting business narratives that captivate, convince, and inspire, and Parenting with a Story, real-life lessons in character for parents and children to share. In his 20 years at Procter & Gamble, Paul held leadership positions in both research and finance and most recently served as Director of Consumer and Communications Research. Prior to P&G, Paul was a consultant for Arthur Anderson & Company, which is now called Accenture. Paul holds a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also the host of the Lead with a Story podcast and Parenting with a Story podcast. And his work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, Forbes, The Washington Post, and Marketing Research Magazine, and now the Marketing Book Podcast. Paul, congratulations on Sell with a Story, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Doug. It's uh, good to be here. And that last part of that introduction, I'm, I'm most proud of. So now that I'm on your uh, your podcast, I'll consider myself legit. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for working with me on that. You know, the there's a lot of delusion going on there in my own mind. So, <laughs> so, uh, so you've got two other podcasts and I see that each one is related to one of your previous books. So Paul, let's, you know, elephant in the room. Are you going to be doing three podcasts now? Oh, I, I know that I've, I've got that pressure now on myself. And I, I, I think the truth is I, I probably will not. I'll probably just fold it into the, the lead of the story podcast since that's the, <laughs> the business focused podcast as opposed to the more personal parenting one. But, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get right into it. I I, I want to say first off that uh, for years I've I've you know heard about and I didn't know quite so much about storytelling as it as used in business, but I've heard so much about it. And and uh, you know, full confession, I've heard marketing people or keynoters who might mention, "Oh, you got to tell stories. You got to tell stories," and I never really uh, looked into it. And I I guess I just didn't know. I always wanted to say, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then when I saw sell, sell with a story, it's like, all right, now we're getting down to brass tacks. And having read your book, I think I have a much um, better idea of what it means. It's not unicorns and rainbows here. It's real specific right. reasons. And let me start with asking, what is a sales story? Uh, and, and how is that different from a pitch? And, and why should people be telling stories when they're selling? Right. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And uh, and I think a lot of people are confused about what does it mean when I talk about a business story or a, a sales story or a leadership story. 
And part of that's because over the last 15 or 20 years, I think the word story has has begun to be used for all kinds of purposes that it was it was never originally intended to be. Uh, you know, so so you wouldn't ask me that question 20 years ago. You'd you'd probably know what I meant. But today, you know, people use story for things like they'll say, "Oh, our our marketing campaign is a is a story. Our our brand logo tells a story. Our our vision sets a story." And they just, story gets used a lot. So, um, to to help you kind of see the difference, imagine it's it's nine o'clock. Uh, you know, next Monday morning. You go into a conference room with uh, with half the sales team. You've got a big um, big sales pitch that you're pre- preparing for for a new a new potential client in a, in a few weeks, and the meeting's about to start. And the VP of sales walks in and you know puts her hands down on the table and kind of leans out over and says, "All right, people, what's our story?" Now, do you think for a minute that what she means is telling a, a story the way a 10-year-old kid would mean yeah, a story? I don't think she's <laughs> no. talking about Hansel and Gretel. No, she's not talking about that kind of story. She, what she probably means is what is the, the logical series of facts and arguments and data that we can put together, probably in a PowerPoint presentation, in a series of bullet points, such that by the end of the meeting, the buyer buys whatever it is we're selling. So, so in other words, she really doesn't mean story at all. She means a compelling argument. And, and that would be a, a, a very reasonable thing to ask for as you're preparing to make a sales pitch. Basically, that's the kind of thing that people 15 years ago would have called our talking points or our presentation slides or just our sales pitch. But today, we people call that a story. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. You know, that, I'm, I'm not trying to teach people how to put together a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach people how to use actual storytelling within their communication, within their sales pitch. So a, a real story, the way that you or I would have meant 20 years ago or that any child today would 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 mean it, it is has a few certain characteristics like there's a time and a place. You know, when you say, ah, this morning on my way to work, well, what's about to follow out of your mouth is probably a story. But if you were to start out, you know, your, your narrative with, you know, the three most important things you got to do to be successful in this company are, well, what's about to follow is not a story. It's going to be a list and it's going to be your opinion about mm-hmm. something. Okay. That's not a story. So it's got to have a time, a place. There's going to be a main character in it, probably more than one main character. You know, that main character is going to have a goal and there's going to be an obstacle getting on in the way of that goal. And there's going to be a series of events that happen to that main character that hopefully resolves you know, the, the tension between the goal and the obstacle they've run into, you know, a, a real story. And so what this book is about is real stories, not just a compelling argument or a great speech or, you know, a good Ted talk. You know, it's not the overall structure of a speech. It's, it's the things that you punctuate a speech or a sales pitch or a marketing campaign or something with that is an actual old fashioned, honest to goodness story because the stories are really what is compelling uh to to the human brain and i and that's probably leads into the second part of your question i think which remind me was was well, why, why do we do that why, why should, should, we? should people tell stories yeah so the, the bottom line is because it just works a lot better but i i, I think there are a number of reasons why it works better and one of them is that that stories just helps the the buyer relax and listen. You know, it's, it's the it's the kind of thing that happens when you're in a college class, you're madly taking notes as the professor was scribbling formulas on the board. But when the professor stopped scribbling on the board and turned around and just started telling you a story or an anecdote or giving you an example, what the students did is 
they 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 stopped taking notes. They sat back in their chair. They, their their body and their mind both kind of opened up in posture, and they just listened. And that's what you want your audience to do. You don't want them thinking so critically about your idea that they're already tearing it apart before you even finished giving it to them. You you just want them to listen. Yeah. And stories get people to just listen, right? Um, but it does a number of other things for you. I think it, it, it builds relationships between people and that's just the human nature part of it. Uh, it, it quite literally speaks to the part of the brain where decisions are made, right? That, that unconscious, emotional, sometimes irrational part of the brain where all the psychologists tell us that we're actually making decisions. And then we, we justify those decisions rationally mm -hmm. later in a different part of the brain, you know, and facts and logic don't speak to that that unconscious emotional part of the brain, but, but stories do. Another reason, maybe one of the best reasons is that, that stories make things easier to remember, right? Uh, um, and a number of studies have shown this, whether it's six times or 22 times more likely to be remembered. But if you just give people a list of things, they're not very likely to remember it. But if those things are embedded in a story, people are much more likely to remember it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have examples of that in the in the book where you you present some facts and, and and I think you even talked about some of the experiments experiments that were done and then you put it in a story and people were able to uh, to grasp that. But you know, just something just occurred to me um, when I was in business school. I I noticed a big divide. Maybe it was just me. A big divide between the faculty that had more or less been in academia all their lives. And those that had actually maybe gone off and had a business career and then came back. And I think that what was so different is that the ones that had, I guess you could say, real-world experience, they would tell stories. <laughs> I just figured that out, Paul. And I right. still remember some of those stories. And you know, in reading the book, it made me think of your prospect when you're doing a sale as being in a castle. And you talk about how when people are being pitched – they can sniff it out immediately. And it's like that drawbridge is up. But when you s start to tell the stories, uh, as you explain in the book, the drawbridge comes down. Right. That's the only way they're going to let you in. Right. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the sets of people I interviewed for the book were, were not just professional salespeople, but professional buyers, professional procurement people. And I guess the reason for that may be maybe it's obvious, but I, I figure who better to tell me what sales stories are working and which ones aren't than the professional buyers that have to make the decisions and listen to hundreds of these, you know, every week. And one of the things they, they consistently told me was that they can very easily tell when the official sales pitch has started. Yes. And, and several of them described it in, in terms that, that are not very flattering. You know, they say the, the hair on the back of my neck would start to stand up. And a, a lot of them used, uh, used words, for for vomiting actually oh that's right <laughs> but also their eyes glaze over i mean i would oh, think yeah yeah, yeah there's a signal that you get well talk about the the research that went into the book i mean the fact that you went to all these procurement people was was very interesting and i don't know did, did you know that you were going to get such rich insights from procurement people or did you think that maybe the sales folks were the ones to talk to most oh you know you're right i i was totally surprised by that i, I in fact i I started out just thinking, you know, I'm going to go interview, you know, dozens of professional salespeople around the world, which has kind of been my my modus operandi with each of these books. Is I'll, I'll go interview a hundred experts in in the field, and and for a book on sales, I need to interview salespeople, and that that was the obvious part. But then before I right before I started, it it dawned on me, you know, maybe I ought to throw in a few procurement people, and and by the end of the research, I was convinced that I learned just as much, if not more, from the buyers than I did the salespeople. And so, 
you know, I, I, I think it was probably 50 different companies that I ended up interviewing people at. And it was places like Microsoft and Costco and Xerox and Abercrombie and Fitch and Hewlett Packard and Huntington Bank and Giardelli Chocolates and even Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. So I tried to get a, a, a wide diversity of types of companies and, and industries. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like I, I, I got, like I said, as much, if not more from the buyers than the salespeople. And that's because, you know, salespeople, you know, they might, they might have uh, two or three or four sales calls a week for those that are really, really active. Or, you know, if they're, if they're telephone sales reps, it's going to be a lot more, but, but buyers, a buyer can have a sales call every 30 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, and they're uh, on the receiving end of a sales call. Um, so, so they really have a lot more experience with it. Um, but that was part of, you know, I, I ended up reading, of course, all the other books on the topic. I, uh, that's kind of part of my general process. I want to, I want to know what's been published in this space and so that I can add to it. And that's where I started and then moved into all of my, um, uh, my interviews of all these, these folks. But, but I learned a lot from my clients too, cause I've, I've been, I've been teaching storytelling as a leadership vehicle to executives for, for about four or five years now, ever since my, my first book came out. And so I get to hear all of their, you know, leadership challenges, communication challenges, selling struggles, et cetera. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that I learn as much as they do when I'm, <laughs> when I'm there teaching them. And so you, you see a lot of that kind of reflected in the, uh, in the book as well. Mm -hmm. So what kind of stories, uh, should, should people tell and, and yeah. when should they tell them? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I should probably start by giving you an example of just one of them and um which probably better answers your question what is a sales story and what's not a sales story and yeah, then i can yeah. kind of list for you what what some of the other types are but um one of my favorite is actually one that 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 happened to me or the sales story that i was on the receiving end of and it actually happened about uh, a little over a year ago in may uh, of 2015 my wife and i were were at coney island in cincinnati and we were at an art festival and the, the truth is my, my wife is the artist and she wanted to go to the art festival. So I was really kind of there dutifully in tow. Um, as and, well you uh, should be. As well I should be, right. Carrying the bag, ready to, to do what I needed to do. Um, and so she's going booth to booth and she just loves talking to all the artists about their, their techniques and their mediums and their inspiration because she does all that stuff too. And, and I'm just kind of following around behind her. Well, we get to one of these booths and it's, a, um, it's an underwater photographer. And so he's got these just mesmerizing pictures of, of sea anemones and, and coral reefs and sharks and whales and all kinds of stuff. And, and she's going through his stuff looking for a, a, a piece of art for our son's bathroom wall. She's got – she knows right where it's going to go and she's looking for something in particular. And she gets attached to this one picture that to me looked about as out of place as, as a pig in the ocean. And the reason is what? because – a pig a in picture. the ocean? Yeah. <laughs> It was a picture of a pig in the ocean, like literally, you know, and I'm looking at this thing and I think that, well, this makes no sense, right? Pigs don't swim and they certainly don't swim in the ocean. So eventually the artist comes over, the photographer, and, and I, I asked him, I said, dude, look, what, what's with the pig in the ocean? <laughs> How did you train that pig? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. You must've trained this pig to, to swim or something. And, 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 and Doug, that's when the magic started. I mean, he said, oh, it was the craziest thing. He said that picture was taken off the coast of this uninhabited Bahamian island down in the Caribbean called Big Major K. And he said apparently what happened was a few years ago, some local you know, Bahamian entrepreneur wanted to, to raise a pig farm for bacon, I guess. And he found this, this uninhabited island where he could keep these pigs for free, so like you know, no overhead cost. So he, he dumps all these pigs out on this uh, uninhabited island, and he, and he said, now, now look at the picture really close. Look behind the pig. And what do you see up there on the beach? 
And I looked and I said, well, mostly all I see is cactus. And he said, yeah, pigs don't like cactus. <laughs> and so they weren't eating like they had nothing to eat. And he said, unfortunately, apparently there's a, a, a local restaurant owner on a neighboring island not too far away. And every night he was boating his kitchen refuse, like the, the leftovers, over to this island, Big Major K, and dumping it a few dozen yards offshore. Well, pretty quick, these hungry pigs figure out they're going to have to learn to swim or they're going to die, right? So these pigs literally just, you know, start, start I'd say dog paddling, maybe it's pig paddling, right, <laughs> out to get this, this leftover food. Well, you know, two generations later and, and all these, these pigs know how to swim. And he said, and it's, it's crazy because now they're so trained that anytime a boat comes to the island, they assume that there's food on it. So they will swim right up to whatever boat comes to, to shore. And he said, so I didn't even have to get out of my boat. I mean, I just literally boated up there, leaned over the side, stuck my camera in the water, snapped some pictures and left. I was done. It was the easiest shot I'd ever had. So he finishes telling me that I pull out my wallet, pull out my credit card, slap it down and said, we'll take it. Right. I mean, two minutes earlier, that that picture was worth nothing to me, not even the paper it was printed on because it was just stupid, right? Mm -hmm. But now after hearing that story, I mean, it was worth whatever he wanted to charge for it because it, it was in two minutes, I got a, a geography lesson, uh, an animal behavior lesson, a history lesson, right? All in one. And, and every time somebody comes to my house, I get to tell them that story and I love it, right? So I wasn't just buying a picture now. I was buying an interesting story that happened to have a picture attached to it. Right. So that, that is a sales story. Now he, uh, if you ask him and his name is Chris Goog, Googliamello, look the guy up. He's a fabulous photographer. We'll, we'll try and put a link to, uh, his site. Yeah, if he you has should. One. Actually, does that picture, is that on the internet anywhere where we might be able to put a picture in the yeah, show notes? Yeah. On his site. It's there. And I, okay. I, I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards, but okay. the, uh, um, this, this guy, he will tell you, I didn't tell you that as a sales store, I didn't, I wasn't trying to sell you that picture and, and that, and that's fine. He didn't have to, it worked anyway. In fact, those are probably the best kind where it's just this genuine, authentic story that attempted to answer my question, dude, what's up with the pig in the ocean? But it resulted in this great sales story. So that is an example of a sales story. So you see how that was not a sales pitch, right? right. A sales pitch would have been very, very different. So, mm -hmm. so so get back to answer your question. There are a lot of places that I think salespeople need to tell stories. In fact, yeah. I was surprised when I was asking, you know, interviewing them and finding out where are they telling stories. I, I came up with a list of, I think, 25 different places where I think salespeople need to tell stories. And it's everywhere from introducing themselves to a new prospect um, to to building rapport with the buyer, to the main sales pitch itself, to to handling objections, to closing the sale, and even service after the sale. Well, and, let me let so, me uh, add to yeah. that, Paul. If I could interrupt, uh, Appendix A of the book, which I'm holding, is got 24 stories salespeople need, and you go through. Of course, you need to read the book to understand what the list is, but it's all every one of those stories. Yeah, it's like a a, a 24 arrows for your sales quiver. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, everybody's stories, your 24 are going to be different than my 24. Mm -hmm. um, but every, all of us, if we have to sell anything for a living, we all need each of these 24. You know, the first one is explaining what I do. <laughs> what is it I do? How, how do I help people? You know, yeah. uh, 
you know, why I do what I do, um, you know, uh, the founding story of my company or the founding story of my product or the, the, a problem story that, that explains to you what problem does my product or service solve? Yeah. You know, success stories, you know, stories of people using my product or service and having a happy ending. You know, so so each of those are examples. And there's there's one example in the book for each of these 24 or 25 stories. And yours will differ, but they are kind of your springboard to, OK, how, I know now I need those stories and I've already got seven of them, but I, I, I don't have the rest of them. Now I need to go get them. Yeah. You know, one point, uh, the book is called Sell with a Story, but as a marketing person, I read through this and. It was very applicable to marketing, particularly the content that you develop uh, as a marketer for uh, a company. And, you know, marketing and sales are getting so uh, pulled together, uh, <laughs> whether they like it or not, that there were right. lots of marketing things in here. But um, my listeners, you know, they're all about brass tacks. Uh, they want to know, all right, what get, get specific here. So let's, you know, how do you how do you craft this great sales story? Like what are the, what are the, some of the components that, that you have to have? And I just want to reiterate the book is real specific on how to do it and how not to do it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so if I had to boil it down to three things and if you ask me, what is it that makes a great story, a great story and not just a sales story, any story, mm -hmm. you know, a, a novel, a movie, you know, a book, whatever uh, I, I would say it's these three things. A hero we care about, a villain we're afraid of, and an epic struggle between them. Right? I mean, you think about Star Wars or whatever. You've got the mm -hmm. you've got the hero, the villain, the struggle. Or, or you think now, about political candidates. Yeah, uh, they do it. Yeah, or or the uh, the villain could be a problem. Right. 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 Yeah. So the yeah, good. The villain doesn't have to be a person. It could right. be a mountain you're trying to climb, or the copy machine you finally get your revenge on, or whatever. <laughs> but you need a hero, a villain, and a, and a struggle. And, and and I know that sounds kind of Hollywood. So if I were to translate that into more business language, I would say uh, the hero you care about becomes a relatable hero. You know, the 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 story needs to be about somebody that your audience can relate to. Yeah, not right? Superman. Exactly. Not yeah. Don't don't commit the Superman problem where you know it, it, this the story may be entertaining, but since I can't fly or bend steel bars with my hands, I you know that's not going to help me do anything. Yeah, when I hear somebody tell a story about a gold medal winning Olympic athlete, I'm like, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not Michael Phelps, so right. <laughs> that story doesn't help me. Right. Um, so, so that's the core of it: the, the, a relatable hero, a relevant challenge. I would say, in more business language, and and an honest struggle between them. And but there are a lot of tools that that get you there. So, so most of the books, in fact, two thirds of the book, is on how do I create those those three things. So it starts with the structure of a story because st stories do have a structure, and it's a little more complicated than the beginning, middle, end, but but not a whole lot more complicated, and you, but you'd be surprised how many people don't get that order right. But it's got to be the context at the beginning. There's got to be a challenge in there somewhere. There's got to be conflict. That, that's, that's the honest struggle that we talked about. And there has to be a resolution. Like it all has to get resolved in the end. Uh, you, you, gotta, you don't have to – the hero doesn't have to win, but somebody has to. There, there needs to be an ending to it. And then when you're done with that – there needs to be either a lesson learned or a recommended action. And, you know, for, especially for sales and marketing, if there's no recommended action, you, you probably wasted your time. So that's kind of the story, the, 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 the structure, context, challenge, conflict, resolution, and then ending with a lesson and a recommendation. Um, so structure is a big part of it, but there are some other components depending on time we can get into. Yeah, but absolutely. There, Let's... there needs to be emotion. There, there ought to be a surprise somewhere. 
there's there's got to be some details in it. Um, you know, the, the the length is important. You know, you don't want to tell a 15 minute story. You'd be boring people all over the place, right? Um, <laughs> I've listened fact, to some. <laughs> yeah, in fact, that's one of the more interesting things I found that since my first book was on uh, leadership stories, and I interviewed all these CEOs and executives, the the average leadership story was about four minutes long when told verbally and probably uh, 450 or uh, 500 words long when written. Sales stories, I, I assumed would be shorter, but I didn't know how much. It turns out they're about half as long. So the average sales story is two minutes, not four minutes. And so, when, when, and I think when a lot of people think about a story, they think of this long epic. Right? It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So you just sent the hairs on the back of my neck up, right? I mean, yeah, th those are the kind of opening words that indicate to you that a long story is coming. Well, you know, and while we're on this subject, let me just inter interject. Yeah, sure. There are, there, uh, what are the absolute worst ways to start a story? I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, never do this. <laughs> so one is apologize. Never apologize for telling a story or, or, or the other one is ask permission. Yes, and and yes. you've seen both of these happen, right? Yes. You're sitting in a meeting. Um, somebody raises their hand and interrupts and said, I, I'm sorry. I, can I just tell a quick story? I promise it'll just take a minute, right? People do that all the time. And everyone's usually polite, but exactly. Yeah, like sure. That. Fine. <laughs> yeah. So, but what does, what does that opening tell the audience about how valuable the, the person talking thinks the story is. Yeah. Well, how, how important do they think they are? Yeah. They probably think they're important, but, but they, well, I they mean, the probably, other people are thinking like, is, is that all, is that all the confidence you have and exactly. what you're going to contribute? Right. If you're apologizing for it and asking permission to tell it, clearly you don't think it's as valuable as what was going to be said anyway. Right. So, so point number one is if you don't think your story is more valuable than what was going to be said in the meeting anyway, don't tell it, right? Mm -hmm. Just get back to the bullet points on slide number 72. But <laughs> if you do think your story is valuable, then just tell it, right? Leaders don't ask permission to lead. They just lead, right? For a salesperson, never ask permission to do your job. Just do your job, mm -hmm. right? So never apologize or ask permission to tell your story. The other one is don't use the S word. That's the way I would put it. And the S word in this case is story. Right? <laughs> Don't say, I'm going to tell you a story. I mean, that sounds so patronizing like we're a bunch of kindergartens. Yes. Okay, boys and girls gather around. I'm going to tell you a story now. Right. Right. That, that insults the audience. And, and, and a lot of people, the, the hairs on the back of their neck will stand up because they think you're going to tell them that long 15 minute boring story. So just tell them the story. And, and one know? of the ways to get into it is to say something like, one of the best examples. Yeah. Yeah. So I talk about a, a hook and that, that comes even before you've started telling your story, but it's the one sentence or a half a sentence that you use to transition into the story comfortably without hemming and hawing around with an apology or a permission or oh, I want to tell you a story, you know? And yeah, it's like you said, it's normally after somebody's asked you a question. Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I think the best example of that I've seen was, mm -hmm. and, and now you're telling a story mm -hmm. or, you know, anything like that, that just, it, it tells them you're going to answer the question or give them an example. And the example just happens to be a story as opposed to a list of facts. So, so you need that kind of a hook or a transition um, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I interrupted. You were talking about the S word, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, imagine if I were to open up a meeting with you and a bunch of other people this way, well, you know, I, I thought I'd kick this meeting off, uh, uh, well with a story. So, uh, so let me go ahead and, and do that. <laughs> right? Now, 
how excited are you to hear what I've got to say next? Honestly. Uh, well, I feel like I'm getting ready to endure something. Exactly. Exactly. Well put. You're going to endure, again, maybe one of these 15-minute long, boring, irrelevant stories. But instead, what if I said, uh, well, I wanted to kick this meeting off, and um, I noticed that last week something really important happened. In fact, it's it's completely changed the way I think about running this department, and I thought you'd want to know about that. Now, well, yeah. <laughs> you want to hear what I got to say yeah. now? Well, get to it. <laughs> yeah. Now, in both cases, I'm going to tell you exactly the same story. But in one case, you're rolling your eyes and can't wait for me to shut up. And in the other case, you like you're sitting on the edge of your chair waiting for me to tell you. And so that's more the way that you want to introduce a story as opposed to telling them I'm going to tell you a story. Um, the, the last one, I think there were four don'ts. <laughs> so those are three. Don't apologize. Don't ask permission. Don't use the S word. And don't give away too much of the lesson or the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, I, I see people do that all the time. And, you know, imagine if you, in the first three minutes of uh, one of the, of the first Star Wars movie, if you found out that, that um, Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father, or Princess Leia was his sister. I oh, mean, wait, we were probably supposed to say spoiler alert for, yeah, yeah, for that 30 year old movie. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it would just ruin the movie. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, so pretty just, much. So stories are not the same as sales pitches or memos or speeches or, you know, it, in most of our business world, our communication training has been right up front, whether it's a memo or a speech or a presentation, tell your audience what your recommendation is and then spend the rest of your time justifying that recommendation. And if you're writing a memo or giving a speech or making a sales pitch, do that. That's fine. But when you get to the point that you're telling a story, stories are not the same. If you give away the ending of the story, you've ruined the story and you might as well not even tell it. You might as well just get back to your, your bullet points in your sales pitch. So mm -hmm. don't give away the end. So Paul, do, do sales stories have to be true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. One I get a lot and, and my surprising, perhaps surprising answer. I don't answer. mean by lying, but yeah. you know, that, that's an issue that you cover in the book. And I, I think it's really important. And I'm almost wondering if people are hesitant to tell stories because they get hung up on that one point. Yeah, they, they do. And, and, and so I answer that a, a couple of ways. First of all, the short answer is no, they don't have to be true. In fact, the entire story can be completely made up under one condition the, the what I'm thinking of is that as long as your audience knows that you made it up. Oh, okay. Right? right. Right. So as long as you tell your audience, look, this is totally made up, but, but I can't think of a real example, but this will help you understand what I'm trying to explain. So just go with me on this and then yeah. you can completely make up a story. And well, so the other thing you mentioned that was interesting that stuck in my head was you said, when you do tell a story, if there was somebody involved in it, what would happen if they were actually in the room? Yeah, so that's part of my test for embellishment. So that's the other part of this. It is a story. Does a story have to be true? So, so does the entire story have to be true, or can can, a, can an entire story be made up? And the answer there is yes, as long as you tell your audience you made it up. The other part of that is for my true stories. Does every single detail have to be true, or or can I embellish it, or what happens if I accidentally embellish it? Is that okay? And the answer there is it's okay. Also. But under some, again, some conditions. And one of those, the tests, I think, for have you embellished too much is imagine if somebody is listening to you tell the story and that person was actually there when that story happened originally. So they know exactly what happened because they watched it just like you did. If, would they be 
offended at the way you told the story? Or would you be embarrassed once you found out, oh my gosh, you, you mean you were there and I just told this story and I made up, you know, if you would be embarrassed or they would be offended at how you told the story, then you change too much. But if they didn't, if they wouldn't uh, be upset and you wouldn't be embarrassed, you probably didn't. I mean, like the, the pig island story that I, I told you, what if you found out that the, the truth is that it, wa- it, it wasn't 10 years before the photographer took the picture on pig island, but it was 20 years before when all the pigs got put there. W- would you think that the story was somehow awfully misconstrued? No, and I would say it's because I don't think you were trying to deceive me. Right. And also because it doesn't matter whether it was 10 years or 20 years or five. Who cares? Yeah. There was or, or the dialogue you had with yeah. the photographer at the art show. I don't think it really matters if that's exactly what you said. Like, all right, I'll buy it. Right. Or we'll take it or mm-hmm. give it to me. It doesn't matter the exact words. The, the, now, if I change something like um, the pigs never learned to swim or I never bought the picture or I mean something <laughs> meaningful to the story. Well, now I'm lying to you. Yeah. Right. So, so the, uh, or the if other way said Spanish conquistadors brought the pigs to the island. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. May, maybe. But, but so I think accuracy is important in a story, but precision is not. You know, we're, we're not newspaper reporters reporting a bunch of facts. We're telling a story. And so uh, I've got a list of, in the book, a list of the, th- the parts of a story that you should never change. And other parts that like, you know, like the exact time, the exact place, the exact words that were said, meh. I mean, it, you probably don't remember those things really well anyway. So just give it your best shot and, and, and assume that they were, they were right. Now, the, the major points of the story, if you change those, yeah, you, you've probably done a disservice to your audience. But what I find is a lot of people are afraid to use dialogue, for example, in their storytelling because, well, I don't remember exactly what Bob said. Did, did, you know, did, did he say, I'll take it or we'll take it or she'll take it? Like, so they don't use it because they're afraid to misquote somebody. But then you demonstrate how uh, rich how much richness it adds to the story when somebody right. does use it. It's really interesting. Right. Yeah. So um, there's the there's a lot of appendices and, and worksheets and all kinds of things that go with the, the book. And it was, I mean, you read the book, but then I think the real work starts because then you can start filling all these things out. And uh, it's going to be longer than just reading the book. You're going you're gonna to want to work at this for a while. And, and, yeah. and I think even if you only spend a, a short amount of time, it's probably going to help you. Um, I, I have to say... Uh, when I saw first learned of your book, um, you had me at Mike Weinberg. Oh yeah, and great guy. Mike Weinberg wrote the foreword to this, and Mike is the author of uh, New Sales Simplified and New Sales Management Simplified, his newer book. And I've had him on the show, and not to put any pressure on you there, Paul Smith, but <laughs> Mike Weinberg's episode was the most downloaded episode in this show's year and a half history. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Not surprised at all. So, yeah. uh, well, I, I would be happy to, to play second fiddle to Mike any day. So that, <laughs> that, that will be my goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at any rate, let's, uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Yeah. I, 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 I guess that full disclosure, that's not a fair question. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to read the whole book. But I, in, in general, I would say that, that you would con- you need to conclude that you need a lot more sales stories than you probably think that you do. Mm-hmm. And that the ones that you do have, you could probably tell them better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, it's interesting the structure. This is I got that takeaway, but the the way you structured the book was interesting because you told. It's like you laid down a baseline of stories. You told these. You told the pig story. There was a couple other very specific stories. It wasn't a lot, but there were these specific stories. And then what you did, uh, of course, you know this. I'm telling this for the listeners' benefit. Sure. But then you then talk about those same stories throughout the book, each time layering on the thing that you just taught. So you go, all right. So let's go back to <laughs> this story, and it sort of turns into a. I guess I guess must but be the same thing sort of thing you do with a workshop where you you keep going back to those stories and each time uh you're able to say okay so in this instance here's what that means like for instance the part about using dialogue you know right. it gets pretty uh granular there but that's that's what I think I mean obviously this works well in your workshop so it's it's going to work well in the book but let me ask you what what other books have inspired your working career yeah there there've been a lot but I I I'd probably mention three. The first one would be Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath, which oh, uh, was yeah. a New York Times bestseller mm-hmm. back in, I think, 2007. Um, and I say that one because I, 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 I love the book so much, I ended up contacting the authors. And I, I ended up becoming the first licensed trainer for for the content in, in their book. And so I would oh, literally wow. take – I didn't realize they, they did yeah, that. Yeah. I w- well, yeah, now they have a, a – I don't do that anymore. They now have a professional training firm that, that does that for them. Oh, but I uh, but before that, I, I was the guy that did that for them because I, I was so enamored with the book and I would take a vacation day and go go spend the day with a company and, and kind of teach that content. Um, and, and since I ended up stopping doing that – in fact, at one point, we were going to co-author a, a, a book together – and neither of those things ended up ideas lasted more than a year. And so it, which, which is what led me to write my own book. And mm-hmm. so it was one of those, uh, one door closes, another one opens kind of thing. You know, that, that's what kind of gave me the bug to write my own book and do what I do for a, a living now. And so if it weren't for that book, I, I don't even know if I'd, I'd be here having this conversation with you. So that definitely in, inspired my career. The, the other two I would mention, uh, were really kind of the, the genesis for my second book, uh, parenting with a story, and it would be uh, uh, William Bennett's The Book of Virtues, mm-hmm. and then the whole Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And I, I say those because what I wanted to do was write a book that was as practical and useful for teaching character strengths, vir- virtues, and values to kids as The Book of Virtues was, which is this enormous, like eight or nine hundred page book from from William Bennett, mm-hmm. but not a single. St- uh, chapter in it or page in it is original. It basically he he was republishing all kinds of uh, parts of books from as far back as Aristotle and Plato and uh, parts of uh, the Bible and the Quran and other parts that just teach wonderful life lessons uh, that that every kid needs to have growing up. But the truth is, and he admits this in the the introduction that it might be kind of cheesy and boring for a kid. Well, it, it is because I mean nobody wants to read stuff that's thousands of years old if you're if you're twelve, right? Um, so I wanted a book, but but he covered all of the important virtues in life. And then you take the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, which are so fun to read and so easy to read, and they're just full of stories, and they're heartwarming and touching, and you just can't wait to read the next one. But I'm not sure you're learning a whole lot of important life lessons. What you're having is these wonderful, heartwarming, emotional moments. I wanted a book that did both, that was read as 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 charmingly as Chicken Soup, but that delivered life lessons as important as book of virtues. And so that was my attempt in, in that book. So those would probably be the, the three most important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned book of virtues. That takes me back. I remember when it first came out, it must've been, gosh, 
20, 25 years ago, something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember when the book came out, for a couple of years after it was out, I, whenever a friend would have their first child, I would send them that book as a baby present. Ah, uh, good for you. And it was a, when, and it turned out to be a big hit. Uh, it, it really was good. Well, now you should send them mine. It's a lot yes. more fun to read. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll sell them. I'm going to send them sell with a story. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> come on. Yeah, no. yeah. Um, well, I will. I will. Um, good for you. So, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Yeah, probably just go to my website. Everything's there. So it's uh, www.leadwithastory.com. Lead with a story. Okay. The name of the book is Sell with a Story, How to Capture Attention, Build Trust, and Close the Sale. The author is Paul Smith. Paul, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. You're very welcome, Doug. Thanks for having me. And that closes the book on episode 87 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I love to hear from listeners like you. Modern marketing is moving pretty darn quickly. So if I can answer your question or help point you in the right direction to get the information you need, please don't hesitate to ask. It's the least I can do for you, my list. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we welcome John Jantz back to the show to talk about the new book he has co-authored, SEO for Growth, the ultimate SEO guide for marketers, web designers, and entrepreneurs. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.